The word I hope that you're hearing repeated in all those testimonies is experience. You know, we have a tendency, at least Christians in our denomination, to think that spiritual growth has to do just with cognitive. If I know lots of information, that means that I'm spiritually mature. See, if you don't experience the life of a disciple, experience the truth, then it's just head knowledge. It's, it's so much more than that. The, the Christian life, to be a disciple of Jesus, is an experience, and this rooted experience is a catalyst for that growth. Now, we only have a couple hundred spots, so if you're gonna do this, you're gonna need to get signed up quick. Uh, we've had a hundred or more of our leaders go through it, and it's been life-changing. And I'm hoping and praying that we're gonna get our entire congregation through it. It's gonna take several years to do that, but I'm praying for you that are gonna be walking through this over the next few weeks because something amazing can happen, and I believe will happen, and is going to happen as it has been happening this last year in the many of us. We're, we're gonna have content, and what we've been doing this summer is we've been highlighting the content of the Rooted Experience. And this morning, we're gonna finish this series. Uh, next week, we start a whole new series launching out in the life of Moses. This morning, we're gonna finish our study of the life of Peter as we've seen it uh, in this content of the Rooted Experience. We're gonna talk about how it is you do life with Jesus' family. And again, we're gonna look at a, an epistle. We're also gonna look at an experience of, of Peter in, in his life and in his journey with God. You know, God has a very unique family. Every family is unique. I mean, you, another way of saying is, it is we're all weird in a special way, right? You know, in our family, we don't have breakfast together. Sometimes lunch, we always have dinner. There's certain things that are right, certain things are wrong. There's no, there's no gray area. It's just how it is. And we don't keep stuff. If, if there's any question, it gets thrown away. So if you want something, you better nail it down. Otherwise, it's gone, right? We do keep pictures, and it was kind of cool last weekend, Carrie's parents were in town, and they brought us pictures from her mom's side of the family that go back over 100 years. As a matter of fact, one of those pictures was of Carrie's great-great-grandmother, my children's great-great-great-grandmother, and we'll soon, when we pass this down to our children's children, God willing, think about the years of time that we'll spend in talking about the weirdness of our family, right? All that we've had that makes us up. But you know, hundred that's nothing compared to God's family that we're a part of. You know, think about who's in our family. I mean, picture in your mind Noah, Abram, Joseph, Samuel, David, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Peter, Augustine, Luther, Spurgeon. Think of all these that we have been blessed to know, to have walked faithfully with the Lord, who are a part of this family, and now it's our turn. In this day, in this time, in this place, we get to be the family of God. And what we're gonna see in our text today is how we do that rightly. How it is we are to see ourselves, and in light of who we are, what it is we are to do. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, take it out and take it and turn to uh, Matthew 16. In Matthew 16, we see a unique conversation Jesus is having with his disciples, and Peter, as usual, is speaking up uh, to the reality of, of who Christ is, and based on who he is, you know, what it is he's being called to do, which defines for us reality as a church. So let's all stand together in honor of God's word. Sam's gonna come up, and he's gonna read for us. Matthew 16. He's going to read verses 13, and he's going to stop at verse 19. So Sam, read that for us. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do, you, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others.
Others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for, for the flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but, the, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen? Amen. You may be seated. So here's Peter doing what Peter was called to do, basically to be the spokesperson for the church. Um, to be the foundation of the church. And he was given the responsibility and the authority to, to, to basically say, okay, here is what the boundaries are. Here's what's to be bound. And here, here's what's to be loose. There are traditions that need to be let loose of. What we need to understand in order to be uh, the family of God appropriately, we have to understand who we are and what it is we are called to do. So if you would, hold your finger there in Matthew 16. Turn with me to 1 Peter. Let's go over to the epistle, 1 Peter chapter 2. And what we see Peter doing here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is telling us as the church, as the family of God, hey, this is who you are, and because this is who you are, here's what you are responsible to do. This is 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves are, look at this, you yourselves are like living stones, you like living stones are being built, underline that, are being built, being built up as a spiritual house, a spiritual edifice, to, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture. Again, now he's pointing back to the Old Testament prophecies, to the promises of God that were made about Jesus Christ. And he quotes them here. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not, <laughs> but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But look at this. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. For what purpose though? If that's who we are, what are we supposed to do? Underline this, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Please understand what we are. We are a spiritual edifice and we are being built. So write this down. The church is built. It's built by God to live, to live on mission together. Who we are is a unique people who believe in a unique savior. He was the stone that was rejected. And understand, in this text, he's speaking specifically to how the religious leaders of his day rejected him. But let's not forget, though precious, and because he's precious and holy, he was rejected by the Father so we could be accepted. There was a moment when Jesus was dying on the cross and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in that moment was the worst moment in all of human history. 
What was going on? 2 Corinthians 5.21 explains it. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I want you to understand what happened in that moment. Holy God in flesh. In that moment on that cross, my sin and the sin of everyone who ever believed was placed on him. And God looked at him in our unrighteousness. And Jesus paid for it. The wages of sin is death. He died for our sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. Romans 5, 8 says, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Christ did not save us because we were good. He saved us despite the fact that we were not, and he has made us righteous. And after being raised from the dead, Jesus showed up to his disciples in John 20, 21, and look what he said. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So those who are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, we are to do what our Savior did. What did Jesus do? He left the comforts of heaven to go into a dark world to be the light to save. What are we to do? We are to leave the comforts of our lives to go into the darkness of this world and to shine brightly as the light of God. And we do that better together. You know, in in 1 Peter here, there's this picture of a spiritual house. I can't wait till next year. I failed you for 17 years now, and we have not taken the time to think through and for me to preach through what Pentecost is about and, and what God specifically did in that moment. Something, something amazing happened. It provided for what Peter's talking about here. We became the temple. We became a spiritual edifice, a house where God now dwells. Each one of us is a stone. We're a little rock that builds up and makes a part of the house. Let me, let me say something to you who are disciples of Jesus and you are not functional in a family of faith. You're not a member, an active member of a local church. You're outside the will of God. Every child of God belongs to a local family of God. And if you're outside of that, you're outside of God's will. You cannot be what God has called you to be on your own. It requires all of us together. And what you find when you're together, when you're connected with the body of believers, what we find is that that sorrow becomes bearable and victories become sweeter. And we, we understand that just normal days become memorable. Years ago, I asked one of our founders, Francis Cox, who used to sit just right there every Sunday so faithfully for so many years. I asked her to write... Um, a story about the founding of Living Hope and, and to describe for us what the church set out to be and to do. And, and I'll never forget this little line that, that was all throughout the, 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 the letter she wrote. She said, you never know when you're making a memory. Last week at Flip, we made some memories. Every Sunday, we make some memories. You know, as of this weekend, it's amazing for me to believe I've been your pastor for 17 years, and over those years, we've made so many memories of normal days. Normal Sundays, normal Mondays, normal Wednesdays. There have been so many normal days, and now, looking back over almost two decades, we see the hand of God, and we remember the faithfulness of God. And we see these moments that now define us as God's people here at this time for his glory. And friends, if you're not here, if you're not plugged in and a part of it, 
you're missing it. We are called by God to be together and to serve his purpose and to live on mission together. Now, a church, a church that's going to be on mission, there's three things you got you to gotta have in hand. These are non-negotiables, and that's what we see in Matthew 16. So go back now to Matthew chapter 16, and let's look at these non-negotiables of what it means to, to be, to do life with Jesus' family, what it means to be a church on mission. Three things. The first one is this. A church on mission affirms Jesus' identity. You see verses 13 through 16, Jesus is saying, okay, what are they, what are they saying about me? Who do they say I am? And the crowds were saying at that time what many people say of Jesus today. Oh, he's a prophet. Oh, he's a good teacher. Oh, oh, he did some, he did some miracles. And, and Jesus was like, wrong, wrong, wrong. He said, who do you say I am? And look at Peter's response. He says, you're the Christ. You're the Savior. You're the Messiah. You're the anointed one. What he was saying there is so significant. He was saying, you are the only one that can save a sinner. There's no other way to be saved. See, our world is broken because of sin, and we can't fix it. No, no human institution can fix it, so stop trying to depend on the government to do this. Stop, stop trying to depend on your school system. Stop trying to depend on any human thing to fix what's broken in our world. The only the only one who can save us and make us what God intended us to be is Jesus Christ. And see, if we will believe the gospel that God came to die for us and we'll repent, believe in him, and pursue his lordship and leadership and pursue his design, there's where we find peace. That's the only way you can find life. And he fulfilled, Jesus fulfilled the promises of the Old Testament. The Old Testament points to Jesus. You know, after Jesus was raised from the dead, he, he was walking with some disciples who were on their way to, to Emmaus, and they were real discouraged because, you know, Jesus had died. They heard rumor that he had been raised, and, and they didn't know what to believe, and Jesus showed up, and he started talking to them about himself. And look what he said about himself. This is uh, Luke 24, 27. Beginning with Moses, all right? What are they talking about? They're talking about the Pentecost. They're talking about the first five books of the Bible, beginning in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all the way through the prophets, all the prophets. He interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus said, I am the Messiah. I am the promised one. And, and only those who affirm his identity can be saved. C.S. Lewis said it well. C.S. Lewis said, when it comes to Jesus, you got three options. One, call him a liar. Call him a liar because he said he was God. And if he's not God, if he's not the savior of the world, if he is not the Messiah, if he's not the one promised in the Old Testament, then he is a liar. Or call him a lunatic. Maybe he's just crazy. I mean, anybody who says they're God and, and isn't God, they're nuts, right? So either call him a liar or call him a lunatic. But if he is God and he did fulfill all those prophecies and he did die for sins and he is returning again, then fall on your knees and call him Lord. He's either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. 
You are either under his leadership or you're against him. There's nothing in between. You're in one camp or the other. And those who are members of God's family, those stones that make that edifice that shines bright in the world, they are living on mission. They affirm Jesus' identity. Secondly, a church on mission knows Jesus miraculously. It's impossible to understand God without God making himself clear to you supernaturally. Notice what Jesus said about Peter. When he's talking about, you know, Peter's made this explanation. He says, blessed are you, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. You, and he's saying, Peter, you don't know this because you've been with me and because you're smart. It's not because, you know, you've, you've been able to see some pretty cool things happen. Why? Why was, why was Peter able to make this profession of faith? Look what Jesus said. But my Father who is in heaven, he has revealed it to you. Friends, we, we, need, we need to be so kind and patient and gracious to people who don't understand. I've got in my office a turtle. I'm, I meant to bring it in this morning. It's, it's this turtle and a, a a friend of mine who became a disciple of Jesus over a decade ago gave it to me. And he said, Pastor, just always remember, we're all coming at a different pace. And he felt like he was a turtle. And then he shook it. And it's, there's something broken on the inside of it. He said, and don't ever forget, we're all broken. Friends, we gotta be patient with people. Because there are people, some of you sitting right here right now, you've been in church your whole life and you're still not a Christian. There are other people who have been around you know, in a, in, a, in a North American culture around Christianity, and they still don't understand it. Let me tell you why. Because it requires a supernatural, miraculous work of God to understand who Jesus is. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 2. Look what he said. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Remember what Jesus said to Peter? It's not flesh that has revealed this to you. No, no, no. There's something supernatural in our capacity to repent and believe. For they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them. Why? Because they are spiritually discerned. Please understand, if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ today who's repented of your sin and believed in Jesus Christ, you are a miracle. And if you have not yet experienced that miracle, or if you have a family member that has not yet experienced that miracle, or a friend, friends, Pray for them. Be patient with them. Love them. And don't be surprised when sinners act like sinners in sin. Love them. But understand it's a miracle. We, there's a miracle that happened in our church recently. It, it, just, it just tickles my, my heart to think about. It, it, there's, this, there's a boy. He has been in this church since the day he was born. Some of you rocked him in the nursery. Some of you sang songs that he's learned to encourage his heart with. Some of you taught him in Sunday school and he drove you crazy. That's what he does. He's gifted that way. And he used to come out of Sunday school and his parents would say, did you behave? No. Well, what was the Sunday school lesson about? Jesus, what are we doing for lunch, mom, dad? What are we doing? Let's quit talking about this. All right, let's move on, right? Something happened a few weeks ago. He came to his mom and dad. He said, something's bad wrong. I realize what I've done. I need a savior. Help me. I need Jesus to forgive me. And they walked him through what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. 
He's born again. I cannot wait to watch that booger get baptized. (laughs) But it's a miracle. Anyone who believes is a miracle because it's supernatural. What has happened comes about because of the supernatural power of God. We have to affirm Jesus's identity. We also have to understand that our job is to tell and to pray and to hope, but only Jesus can save. It's the work of God, the spirit of God that enables us to believe. And we get to just be a part of it. The last thing we got to understand in light of all that God has done, that we, we are a people, a church on mission, that, that is to serve Jesus radically. If you read verses 18 through 19 and it doesn't scare you and bother you just a little bit, then you haven't understood what Jesus just said there. When Jesus describes his church, he speaks of the enemy of his church, the gates of hell. Friends, what God is calling us to stand in opposition to is intense. And it requires a radical servanthood. And and, and Peter, he was given a huge responsibility. He said, all right, here are the gates of healed. Now, Peter, you're the foundation. And and whatever you you bound, whatever boundaries you create, that's going to be what it is on earth. And it's going to have trajectory in heaven. And whatever you lose, that's going to drive what happens on earth. And and the, the, the effects of it will be felt in heaven. So here's Peter. And, and I want to I show you some things that he bound. There were some things that, that Peter, under the authority of the Holy Spirit, bound. One of those is independent individual leadership. Peter bound the church to be under a plurality of leaders. There was never intended for a single person to have complete authority over the church. I don't have time to break this down, but I want, I challenge you to do this. Go back and read Acts chapter 15 and look at who's in charge. Peter spoke up, but at this particular moment, James, the brother of Jesus, made the deciding point. Go and read this, Galatians 2.11. Galatians 2.11 Peter is called down by Paul and and told, what you're doing is wrong. Why? Because Peter, under the inspiration of the Spirit, bound the church to be under a plurality of leaders. There should never be a leader that is not being held accountable by other godly leaders. The other thing he bound was the way in which human beings can be saved. We talked about this last week. I want to throw it out to you real quick one more time again. This is Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Acts chapter four, it says, and there's salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There's only one name and that is the name of Jesus Christ. I hope that one of the things you hear every Sunday is the praise and the glory given to the name of Jesus Christ. It is a name we do not back down because it is the name above all names. And and we are bound to have salvation in no one else other than him. The last boundary he set is one that is often ignored. It's often ignored because there's this idea, especially in the church today, not just living hope, I mean the church in the world, that you can be a Christian, but you can live any way you want to live. That you can be a Christian and you can, you can put any adjective you want in front of it. You know, I'm, I'm, 
I'm this kind of Christian. I'm an LBGT. I, I'm this kind. I'm no. The Bible is clear that we are bound to a specific lifestyle. First Peter, First Peter chapter one, beginning in verses fourteen and fifteen. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Don't let your body, don't let your heart tell you what is true. No, the word of God tells you what is true. Don't be, don't, don't be led and conformed to your passions. No, no. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. How do we know he's holy? Because the word of God tells us. We are bound to live lifestyles that reflect the holiness of God. Now, not only did he bind things as Jesus said that he would, but he also loosed things. He loosed the gospel into the world. We've been studying Peter for the last few weeks, and there have been specific locations. I was trying to drive that. I was trying to make a point to you each time. I don't know if you even caught on. The, the locations about where these things were. Because in Acts 1-8, look at what Jesus said. He said, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Peter was used by God to loose the gospel to go into all these places. Think about the last three or four weeks. Go back and look at your notes. Where was, where was Peter preaching the gospel? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth in chapter 11 as the, as the message went to the Gentiles. Peter took God's command and he set it loose through the church to the nations. Friends, we are bound by specific things. We've been set loose to do certain things. Let me ask you, is that true of you? Do you feel that responsibility? Or are you a person who says, ah, we feel like going to church, let's go. Ah, you know, rooted, yeah, somebody else can do that. Ah, serving, I'm sure they can get nervous tree hell. Ah, parking lot, whatever. Mission trip, ah, I'm sure, I'm sure somebody's praying. Somebody will give money to that. Pregnancy center, eh. Or are you a person who says, you know what, God's at work in this place. And I'm responsible to be a part of this edifice. Not only here, but are you light where you live? Friends, I keep saying this. The darkness is spreading. There's only one thing that's going to stop it. It has nothing to do what's happening in the White House. It has everything to do what's happening in God's house. And either we are being light in the darkness or we are abandoning our post. Are you light at home? Are you light at work? Kids, are you gonna be light at school this year? Are you light where you hang out? This morning, a lady came to me. She said, Pastor, pray for me. My work told me last week to talk about, to stop talking about Jesus or I need to go find a new job. This is not a unbalanced person. This is a very sound, responsible, thoughtful person. And we prayed together. And I told her, I said, you know what this means? 
She said, I need to get my resume together. No. <laughs> this means you're a threat. The darkness is feeling the light. Now you're going to need the help of the edifice, the church, because there's others who can come around you and do what you can't do. Friends, only you can be the light in your home, in your workplace, in wherever places God has called you to be. Are you the light? Are you a threat to the darkness? The gates of hell, that's serious stuff. This is radical. We're left here on enemy territory to seek prisoners who are captive and bring them home. Does that describe you and your passion? If you would, just bow your heads there for just a moment. If you would, just, in just, a, just a quick minute of prayer, just ask the Lord, Lord, am I really light where I live? Do I really believe in who Jesus in the Bible says he is? Am I really depending upon the supernatural power of God? Am I really a part of the family of God? You may need to come and pray this morning. I want to invite you to do that. But first, let me pray for you. Let's stand together as I pray for you. Father, I want to pray for each person who is here right now as they give consideration to what they need to be doing with their life, that they would respond. We have just a moment now to reflect on the truth of your word. Some may just need to sit down where they are and pray. Some may want to come forward and pray. But Lord, all of us right now in this moment, we... we would you allow us to answer this, some hard questions? Holy Spirit, would you bring sight where there's blindness? Would you save some even right now as they repent and believe? Would you strengthen those who ask for your help? And for those who come and pray for lost family and friends, would you save them? Just in a spirit of prayer, come and pray. Reflect on these truths. Ask God's help.